gardening other than tending grass and trimming hedges and, uh, you know, keeping the trees somewhat managed, has not long been a part of the pattern at my household. Um, but slowly now, over several years, we've tried one thing and another, not with very good success on some of them. But this year, we've kind of stepped off a little bit higher cliff, and we put in some raised beds, and my son and I have been working hard to try to get all this stuff ready. We had a little flat that we that uh, seeds go into, you know, little pellets of like peat moss, and you wet them, and they swell up, and then eventually the seeds start to peak their heads up. And we've done real, we've done well with that part of it. But as it comes time to plant a lot of this stuff, we realize that the raised beds may not be getting enough sunlight. So there is no guarantee that uh, they're going to produce a thing. But we're tending them and we're enjoying that. And, and um, you know, plants may grow, and I think they will, but they can't grow to maturity or produce fruit if they don't have ample, abundant, true light, right? Well, one of the nights this week that our, our, uh, that our congregation went out and did service in the community was at the Highland Blessing Dinner um, where people are invited to share a free meal. And for every seven guests that come, someone is assigned to be a table host. And this time I was uh, assigned as a table host. And at my table there were uh, seven other people, two young women and five children. And um, at the, along the conversation I mentioned that I was the minister here and, and um, they shared a little bit of their history. One of the women grew up Jewish and her husband is of a different tradition. I said, oh well, our congregation has a lot of families that could probably relate to that sort of arrangement as people often come here that have uh, backgrounds that aren't the same because they can find a home for both of them here. But uh, she said, oh well maybe we'll come visit your church sometime. She said, that boy over there, she pointed to her five-year-old. She said, I have been told any number of times that he has the gift of prophecy. And we've been to a number of churches, well, not a number, she said at least a couple of churches, that as soon as we walked in, he said, we have to get out of here. His, he was so sensitive to the energy of the place, he knew when they walked in that he didn't belong there. It made me wonder what his response would be if he came here. <laughs> and I was a little bit hurt that he didn't seem to recognize me as, as <laughs> a fellow uh, prophet, but... Uh, 
I really did kind of wonder what what someone, an old soul who had been identified along the way as as a prophet, what his response would be here. And I thought, well, you know, prophets are, are um, not without honor except in their own land. And I did. I thought, well, maybe this is home. You know. Or, or anyway. Um, What kind of light do we provide for the seeds that are planted here? And what kinds of spiritual seeds are we even trying to plant? You know, the, the, the Buddha spoke about hunger as the most offensive disease. And he was, of course, talking about hunger of, uh, for the world's goods, for the, for the ways of the world and, and uh, money and power and, and uh, accumulation. Um, or those things that stand in the way of ultimate liberation. You think? And H.G. Wells said that hunger makes a fool of a man. The Hebrew Testament is full of stories of um, people being cursed with hunger that could not be satisfied. And um, some of that was very physical reality. A lot of it was very physical reality. Not not being able to grow crops to feed yourself. Uh, and, and, you know, if you couldn't create food, people died. It was a very serious thing, but a lot of the Hebrew Testament is very grounded in observable reality. Then you move to the Christian Testament, and in the parables, well, in the stories that Jesus is attributed with telling, those who are hungry and thirsty are blessed. Okay, so where in all of this might we develop a sense of, of whether hunger, spiritual hunger, is a good thing or not? You know, Buddha's teachings point toward one becoming the light. Becoming the light. I think, and and this is my opinion, I think the Hebrew Testament would try to make individuals dependent on the light, needing the light for survival, for guidance, for and I think the Christian Testament would have people chase the light. So why would anybody want to be hungry? And what would I what am I trying to say about the seeds of hunger? Um, another one of the parables that that is in the book of Mark in the Christian New Testament, 
is the parable of the sower. And the Jesus has told this story of a sower that goes out to sow seeds. And, and some fall by the wayside and the birds devour them. And some fall on stony ground and they come up quickly and then they burn up quickly because they're in the sun and they don't have any depth of root to find moisture and nourishment. And then others fall among thorns and they get choked out by the more aggressive life. And they, don't, and they can't yield any fruit because they're shaded by the thorns and, and things. And then some fall in good ground and they do yield in various quantities. Uh, but all of them are increased. So this parable is about spiritual fitness and receptivity, but there's more to growing conditions than the kind of ground where the seed lands, isn't there? I mean, you can plant thousands of seeds in the same environment, treat them the same way, and some will come up and some won't. Some will bud when they're ready. Some come a little faster, some come slower. And so I, I wondered kind of what's the difference there. Um, I, I know I've told you before about some over 100-year-old Indian maize that I have that I keep in a pouch, but if I pull it out and plant it, it grows. It's been totally removed from anything natural, you know, for, for over a century. But if you plant it in the ground, it still grows. It doesn't grow in nice uniform rows that have been hybrid into corn. It's missing a row every now and then. But I'm thinking that's probably how corn looked 100 years ago. And the fact that totally removed from the things that nurture it, that spark of life survives is really, really significant to me. That hunger for life is still in that seed. I think the hunger is what's in the seed. C.S. Lewis once wrote, um, I find in myself desires, no, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I think that's interesting, but I think that Eastern traditions would have us consider the possibility that that other world is also here. Not long ago, I happened across an old movie starring Robert Duvall. Um, he's a significantly flawed, but nonetheless talented evangelist what's the title 
the apostle, that's it. Um, In it, he referred to an old hymn that I had recognized from my childhood growing up in a mainstream Christian tradition. Um, The song was titled, I Love to Tell the Story. And there was a line in it as he recited the lines that I remembered, but it had never caught my attention before. And that line was, it satisfies my longing like nothing else can do. And I thought, oh, okay. I guess I didn't pay attention to that part when I was a kid. (laughs) Because I knew that the things that I was wanting to know about, the things that I wanted to discover, the things that, uh, the information I wanted, and the insights I wanted to gain weren't coming to me in that story at that time. Thinking about that line made me think of another old hymn from when I grew up in this mainstream church uh, that said, uh, uh, let's see, well, I don't know. It was another one saying, my longings are filled. Fills my every longing was what it, how it went. Yeah. Um, and that hadn't occurred to me either. So what was that about? I'm thinking the hunger that was drawing me to someplace else was what I needed on my spiritual journey to be able to find my way to the next right place for me. You know, and I think probably along the way there were a lot of contortions I went through trying to find the light. But every time I had an experience of something that seemed like a little bit new clarity, it was one of those carrots on a stick. You know, it urged me to go a little bit farther, to look a little harder, to carry on a little bit longer. I find myself with some regularity in circumstances where I need to employ what Ms. Susan, our director of Lifespan Religious Education, has called the Unitarian Universalist Universal Translator. <laughs> like in reference to the thing in Star Trek, where no matter where they go, they understand the language because they have the Universal Translator. Well, Unitarian Universalists, if we are doing our jobs well, have more access to a broader view of more traditions than people who spend their time focused in most other traditions. Because it's part of our business to be able to welcome people who don't think like we do. And we can't do that if we have no understanding or appreciation of who they are. So as we go out into the world and we encounter people that are other than us, we have these universal translators that it's our job to use. 
to better understand other people, not necessarily expect them to understand us. But as I go into these circumstances and I hear people talk about their traditions with passion, with love, with devotion, with joy, I find things that once upon a time I would have dismissed outright that have begun to have meaning for me because I'm in a different place. Those seeds still have life. And it's the hunger for that life that keeps me wanting to understand better and know more. Though we may have carried these seeds within us for a lifetime, the seeds of spiritual hunger will and can still grow if we plant them. As I've said before, actually in one of my songs, keep that hunger alive. And in your heart of hearts, you'll know.